I'm Bobby. I'm Nathan. And this could, this could be a podcast. podcast. But I think if you look at like Weird Al, the parody version of comedic songwriting, yes, it leaves yeah. room only for creativity really within the the it, lyric. You're locked in. Yeah, you're locked into that confines of that one song. Right. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of things that you can fool around with and play with, but you're still locked inside there. Yeah, you have a lot of room to move. You know, creatively, uh, creatively, mm-hmm. but um. When you approach it like Flight of the Concords or uh, uh, Lonely Island Boys. Right. Is it just Lonely Island or is it Lonely Island Boys? I believe it's The Lonely Island. The Lonely Island. So we're yeah. on both accounts. Okay. <laughs> anyway. But how they approach it. And I really can't think of any comparable bands that make like funny. Sometimes bands would do like, there'd be like a funny pop punk band. Sure. Blink-182 comes to mind of like a band that would have that would be funny in like their music videos sure, and not really that serious of songs. Yeah. Know? But they definitely weren't comedic songs. Right. I, I mean, I, I think I understand what you're saying and it's something about you're doing a style of song like that flight of the Concord song where this is a romantic groove. I mean, mm-hmm. groove, uh, uh, um, I don't know, some kind of R and B inspired. It's, it's stylistically, spot on and yes. i think that's part of the um part of the genius of it or part of the the legitimacy of it is right. that they're they're stylistically <clears throat> living in this world without ripping it yes. off completely yeah. and then having fun with lyrics because i i know like the lonely island i can i can see how they write lyrics like they <laughs> they have a word they want to rhyme and then they <laughs> They, they know do, that's going to be the beeline. The They're going to, yeah, that's the beeline. We know we, we want it to up, get to that. So it doesn't one. matter what that word is, you know. Yeah. If it's table yeah. and needs to be pineapple, we're going to do that and we're going to make it we're work. We're going to make you know? it work. But, um, and that in itself is a creative way of like making lyrics that I love are that. weird. Weird. And nonsensical. Non sequitur. I mean, it's just like, and I, I love that. I mean, I, that's, I enjoy, you know, the, you know, invention is the mother of necessity. I mean, necessity, necessity is the mother invent yeah. of invention. I yeah. love that. Yeah. There's something about that. I mean, that's why I loved Vine. Like, I, you know, Vine mm-hmm. was like something that just really spoke to me. Yeah. And I really dug. If you were born after 2010, it's called TikTok. Now. It's, now it's TikTok. Well, it's, I, I, I don't find, I, maybe it's me. I don't find any like the TikToks. I don't find them as humorous as vines i don't and watch them it may be i mean and it could be that just me and my oldest son have really bonded over like vine compilations mm-hmm. uh over the years and also like my one niece my one niece like it's literally like was it like the other day yeah uh, i saw like she had a a water bottle and she had a sticker on it and said and they were roommates and i'm like oh my god i love that vine and my sister-in-law's like what the hell are you even talking about like I've got a weird, I, I I don't know whether I am a 14 year old girl okay. at heart or <laughs> my, or my niece is a 30 year old man. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> it's one, of, it's one of those two. And, uh, we could do a real, like if we had some kind of weird, uh, body swap, uh, situation. That's the body swap movie that needs to happen now. <laughs> where, right? where we're both comfortable. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's fine. <laughs> and like, everybody's fine. It's, yeah, it's, it's, and 
I mean, do you want to do you want to go go back? I mean, I don't care. Are you okay? I mean, is, is for this... as many incarnations as that style of movie has had, they've never done the teenage girl swaps with the thirty mid thirties man, mid thirties man. Yeah, and they're fine and they're, with it. They're both fine with it. Yeah, everyone else has hated the switching because right? it's like, oh, oh no, I appreciate I, your. I, no, I can see your perspective now. Yeah. No, no, it's just eh, I get it. Yeah, that was a great John Mulaney bit. Did you see that was an SNL bit from a few years ago? No. Where it was, uh, it was a. Uh, they just remember. steal this original idea. But no, it was like it was called. It was like called Switcher. It was like, hey, let's talk about Switcheroo. Like we're gonna, they're airing you know, rebooting old series is the hot thing in Hollywood these days. <laughs> it has been for the last forty years. But let's yeah. uh, let's bring on the the original creator of Switcheroo, a mid nineties, you know, comedy show. And it was about about like a mom. I mean, a dad and a son switching mm-hmm. bodies. And they ex- like focus exclusively on how the son had to have sex with his mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's all. That's all we cared about. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't going to go in the, through the da- family dynamics. No. And it was just about how the mom had to have sex with her son, and and that was it. Yeah, and we got was... shut down. And now we're shooting in, you know, some kind of cult in Brazil because <laughs> that's the only place that have us. Well, after Back to the Future, you really couldn't do that, <sighs> right? Right. Yeah, but... I don't know. I mean. I mean, there's what? There's Freaky Friday. There's Freaky Friday. There's, there's Vice Versa. 18 again. Eight, no. Or 18. 18 going on 30. 18 going on no, 30. No, but that's not, I mean, that's a, like a, that's a body swap with you, with yourself though. That's the thing. Uh, not that there's not a. Oh, no, no, no. Demon variation with what it. Was the, what was the. Uh, there was a Zac Efron movie, I believe, that was. That with, uh, with uh, Matt. Not, Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry. Yeah. What was that? Was that one thirteen? No, thirteen going on thirty was. What would uh, you call that genre? What would I mean? It's it's body swap. Body, body swap. swap. So yeah, there's vice versa with um, that was the l- shittier version with uh, what's his name? Body swap for oh no, those are just okay. Um, no. uh, Jumanji, the next level. Uh, okay, keep going. I don't think this is Avatar. Being John Malkovich, which is available on this is not the genre Netflix that right now. No, for. keep going, keep going. Change up. That's a body swap. Yeah. Okay. Meet Joe Black. I don't think so. Quantum Leap. Thirteen, 13 going, going, on going 30. thirty. Big. Yeah. Okay. I'll count Face Off. Face Off is on this list. Uh, 17, Seventeen again. That's, that's the Zach one. Efron. The hot chick. The hot chick. Mm-hmm. Freaky Friday. I've never seen. I feel pretty, but Drop Dead Diva. I don't think Shrek the Third did have a body swap element. Selfless, heaven can wait. Which one? Heart and souls. Yeah, they're they're having inv- a pretty long leash on this body swap. Yeah, but, I, mean, I don't remember monkey. All of me. All of me. That's a. Didn't we watch the trailer for all of me? Yeah, we did watch that. Uh, I don't remember switch. Who is that? Jimmy Smiths. Nope. We're getting down into nine lives. Where's this is this is stupid. Go ahead, do me a favor. <laughs> down down to, earth. to earth, which is the Heaven Can Wait remake, which was Heaven Can Wait was a remake from like a nineteen sixties. Eighteen again. Eighteen again and vice versa are both. There's vice versa. And For some reason like that's the video store one mm-hmm. that I remembered. Oh, yeah, like Judge Father Reinhold. Like Soul Son. Yep. With Kirk Can- Oh my God. There was a, a father and son body swap movie that came out here. Well, scroll up for a sec one second. That came out a year apart from each other, both with Americans, and they. That was, that's a real. Uh, I don't remember this one, with Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron. Um, I, as compared to, I I watched the Judge Reinhold Fred Savage one. Yeah, 
but it's a a thing where if you can find an original take on it, being the fourteen year old girl swaps with a thirty five year old man, and it and they're fine, and they're with fine. <laughs> that I think he could pitch. I think he can make that work. Uh, but right, it'd certainly be weird. It would be weird, but but I don't know. I mean, what what, what would your uh, title be? A working title. Oh, no, working title of it would have to be something like weird and then okay. Oh no, you know like a. Oh no! I think it, it'd just be one of those super long literal. No, no, no! I'm saying like it would be, like oddly fine or something like that. You no, know, I think no. It'd, it'd be like it. It would literally be like, thirty year old man switches body with seven, like fourteen year <laughs> old, and they're fine with it. Just run on title. Yeah, just like run just on title. that's the bit. Okay. You know, because there's just no, really give it all. Just away really give it all. Give it all away. Yeah. But the trick is, I mean, the thing is, in the end, they do find. That they do like where they're at in society. Yeah, might need to workshop that some more. Um, I, it's a. I never enjoyed a, these movies. By the it's way, it's a weird. <laughs> it's a weird genre. Um, I don't know. Hey, that's great. I just noticed that the vice versa. Uh, they went ahead and avoided all things with regards to the sex with your mom because he was in a divorced executive yeah <laughs> probably the difference between like father like son that's the trick that's the trick they got it wrong with like father like son in yeah. seven yeah there was way too much <laughs> kirk cameron trying to fuck his mom <laughs> right or well uh, yeah i don't know yeah that's weird yeah it's i mean it is a, certainly an odd genre. Vice versa reminds me of all the zany office comedies that were made in the 80s where somehow people get mm. tricked to go like get a high level position. Uh, it happened in uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Uh, yeah, I'm where, aware of that one. And then um, The Secret to My Success, I believe I is don't, similar. I, I cannot tell you that. Michael J. Fox. Uh, oh, I say and that. And then... No, what was the one? There's some other ones I can't think oh, of. Oh, gosh. But, like, they basically conned their way into these high-level jobs that they would never get. I'm trying get. to think here. Is there a way? Uh, I want to feel like, I feel like there's some Richard Pryor movie like that. Is there a Richard Pryor movie where you, or, um, or am I just thinking? Brewster's of, Millions? Or am I just thinking of, mm, I, maybe I'm just thinking of. Uh, Which is great, by the way. Uh, what's the Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy trading places? Trading places yeah, I which mean, is not a body swap. It's not a body swap movie. There's no. a trading place. It might be on this list though. It's <laughs> a know. pretty loose interpretation. You know what's great about trading places? Um, Don Amici. <laughs> Don Amici. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Um, are you a fan of uh, Brewster's Millions? I remember loving that movie as a child. Um, that was one of those movies that would play on cable like every other day. I like once I I have not seen it. You've never I, seen it. I've seen like a very small segment of it on television. I remember like one time trying to like get my head into like the concept of retelling stories from movies to my children, like as a weird exercise. Like, let's say like it becomes the apocalypse. You're going to tell the story and I'm going to tell the story of, of Brewster's millions to my children. And I tried and it was very difficult because like, you know, here I am, it's the apocalypse. I need to entertain people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I guess I'll just like start with, I mean, I mean, eventually, eventually I'm going to get to Brewster's millions because I kind of remembered the plot of it. Well, it's a great, for as a child, remember it was always a great uh, plot. It's it's an interesting like it, it's a it's an interesting fantasy. 
Yeah, to be able to spend a million dollars in order to get... I think the plot was he had to spend a million... In a day. No, it was in a certain... It was in a a month. I think it was a month. In a month? Yeah. And again, showing just how different the economy and the world was (laughs) back then. It took him a long time. There was different parameters. He couldn't do certain... Like, he couldn't donate the money... He couldn't. Uh, right. There was a l- bunch of different things he couldn't. There's do. a lot of rules. So he bought like a. I remember he bought like a baseball team and then be- became the starting I, pitcher. I think he like he bought the Cubs and had the Cubs play, like in his shitty softball league. Yeah, something or like s- that. Like that was. I want to say. I feel like that was the climax. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just where I was in the like when I like the. We're gonna look it up. Fifteen minutes of the movie I caught. Are you a fan of Richard Pryor's stand up? Uh, like. Are you familiar I, with? I, I'm. I listened to a hand, like a couple of his albums when, like in college, like in college, some guys like, oh my gosh, you really got to listen to this guy. This, I mean, I mean, you know, Richard Pryor. Okay, right? So he has to spend 30 million in 30 days, a million dollars a day. That's okay. what it is. In order Tim to inherit 300 million. million. However, he's not allowed to own any assets, destroy the money, gift it, give it to charity or tell anyone about the deal. I, I love that's a great premise for a movie. Honestly, it's, that's a good. That's it was, a, it was, that came out four days before I was born. How about that? Hmm. That's why I love it so much because I just why? found out that information. <laughs> and Don Amici was in it too. Was Don Amici? No, in he wasn't. No, he wasn't. But um, John Candy was. But uh, Richard Pryor's comedy, comedy very rarely like holds up generation to generation. Uh-huh. A lot of it's very stylized. Richard Pryor and I'm being a dead horse here by saying like his, his holds up quite a bit. It's just as funny and poignant today as it was back then. I remember laughing. I remember laughing at it and it being, it's still shocking. I remember like Mm -hmm. there was something about menstruation Mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I remember like, this is well. him talking about getting caught on fire by smoking crack and everything. Like those Um, are those, I mean, that's just, you know, Dan life stuff. You know what I mean? We've all been there. We've all been there. But his movies, I remember, I was always introduced to his Fucking movies. Fucking Jerry Orbach's in that movie? Yeah. Son of a bitch. I'm a big fan of Jerry Orbach. Oh, the guy from Law and Order? Uh, you mean, no, Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast? Is that what you mean? Oh. He well, looks like the guy from... He is the, he is the guy from... He is Lenny. Yeah. Lenny? Is it Lenny Bruce? Not Lenny Bruce. It's Lenny... Law and Order. What's his... Uh, what's his... Uh, Lenny Briscoe. There it is. I've never he seen an also, episode of Law and Order ever. You've never I've that never was watched. Uh, that was interesting. Like growing up watching Law and Order, like that was kind of that was family viewing when I was in high school. Like we would watch Law mm-hmm. and Order, and I enjoyed it. I remember like I loved. I mean, to this day, I still love J.K. Simmons. Like J.K. Simmons just fucking killed it. Mm-hmm. And then like I remember I was over at like my brother's house, and I was like, "Oh, what's this show? It's Oz. Okay, what is this? It's a prison." And I'm like, oh, hey, it's the uh, it's the really interesting uh, criminal psychologist uh, from Law and Order. Oh, he's just a white supremacist. Oh man, I, you are blowing my mind, J.K. Simmons, on how versatile you are. And I don't want to take anything away from J.K. Simmons because he's, he's great. But I always I, the reason why I can't get into the Wire is the delivery of the dialogue is so formulaic. It's so uh, edited scripted there's no it doesn't seem like there's any room everyone's saying an exact concise paragraph before the next person gets to come up with like a witty one-liner in zero seconds sure and 
Um, um, and it's less with the wire with the witty comebacks, but that's all I ever saw. I've gotten three episodes into the wire. Yeah. Probably three different times. That's and too bad. Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. I mean, but everything, having only watched it once, but everything seems so, it seems like a real procedural or like, uh, right. No, I mean, I mean, it's, but it's all like, literally it's, that's what law and order is. It's, it's one, it's one case, like with the wire, it's one case over like three seasons. Mm-hmm. And then they jump like last two seasons. I want to say they kind of jump around a little bit, but right. But it's the delivery of the dialogue. It's how it's written. I feel like they're written very similarly because um, whereas yeah, sure. the, as law and order is case by case, right? Um, it's procedural. I mean, that's, but it seems like the wire is, it just goes back and forth and it becomes so much where you're like, it's, it, it doesn't feel real. I don't know if it makes sense or if that's a, just I think a there's a lot out. of people who dis- disagree with you. Oh, I like, know it's I a mean, very unpopular. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember enjoying the wire like a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I, have I rewatched the wire? No, I've only watched it once in one sitting mm-hmm. over the course of a lot like, of people consider weeks. it the greatest show ever made. And it's a really, it's a really good, as far as an ensemble piece, like mm-hmm. it's really good. And being on both sides of both sides of the law and also, well, like the three sides of the law, if you want to be like, there's mm-hmm. the people who make the law, the politicians, and then there's the people who enforce the law. And then there's the people who break the law. That and sounds like the intro to law and order, by the way, a little bit. <laughs> no, cause no, cause they don't give a fuck. Law and order does not give a fuck. It seems uh, like they made law unless, and order for unless HBO you're watching and uh, it's called the wire criminal intent, right? Mm-hmm. Law and order, criminal intent. They mm-hmm. would show you like who killed the person at the first, like first episode break. They'd show you like yeah. how they, Oh, this is the guy killed this person at this point. And then you'd watch just, them try to get away with it. I also think too, I just was never into that style of show. I never cared to watch. Like I like, I like a good detective movie, you know, every once in a while it's you're, fine. You like a good whodunit. Yeah. I mean, I, I always go to seven as like one of my favorite detective movies. I mean, I love that movie. <laughs> it's uh, a good movie. And, uh, like L.A. Confidential, I think is great. Um, they're good. Movie. I really enjoyed the Nice Guys. Um, that was great. The Nice Guys was a like but, a severely under underrated movie. Yeah, and but all those all those movies, it's the tone of it. I mean, it's really the tone of Law and Order and the tone of mm-hmm. The Wire that I, that doesn't get me. Whereas you know you know how much I love The Sopranos, and yeah, the tone of The Sopranos is. Whereas it's, you know, Goodfellas has its tone of like, everything's really sharp and everything's moving yeah. quick, you know, and it's yeah. life of luxury, every cocaine, all money everywhere like that. Yeah. Chicken fingers. Sopranos was so, yeah, exactly. Sopranos was so m- mundane and the day to day and that just that different look of it. Whereas I, I mean, I can't think of a good uh, detective TV show or t- t- detective movie that. It's the same kind of like, same kind of mundane. Same um, like day to day. It's gonna. It's this is ongoing. Maybe I, maybe L.A. Confidential is that kind of a little bit. I really I've enjoyed not so much the last season, but Bosch on Amazon. Okay, I've in, I've enjoyed that mostly because it's one it's one case. It, mm-hmm. I mean, there'll be a, like a case peppered in, like woven into like a three episode arc, mm-hmm. like that might tangentially be related to the main case. Mm-hmm. And then 
on top of that, there's like an even lower case, like just who I am as a person. I, my mother was murdered and I want to learn more about that. And that gets like, that's like a, every like fifth or sixth episode. Mm. And then they'll remind you again at the end of the season that his mom died as a prostitute and that's it. Mm -hmm. So I, I've, I've enjoyed that where it's like, we're working literally one case for the entirety of this season. I'm reminded of, well, the first season of True Detective and then Mindhunters are another one where yeah. Mindhunters, Mindhunter, sorry. Um, Mindhunter. Um, it, I remember I, falling in love with it because, again, it was, it was very mundane. Yeah. It was very, sure. Um, I guess, not a slave to its technology. Because, I mean, because yeah. in, the, in the show itself, yeah. like, they don't know what actually they're they're going after, but... They just more, they, they don't know. They're discovering. They're learning as they go. like as they go, yeah. and just be like, oh which my I think God. is an interesting approach to telling a detective, yeah, uh, story, basically. right? And that's well, and they don't really tell like they're not working a case, no. And that's there's one case woven in and out, yeah. Uh, but you never, I mean, but we do. still haven't gotten there. We still haven't gotten there, <laughs> which yeah. is crazy. Which I I really thought that was that was fascinating, and uh, the first season of True Detective was really good really good something i I remember watching more than i think we watched it three times or something whoa i enjoyed it i did not mind the second season oh Uh, i think a lot of people didn't like it i'm like we couldn't get through it it's not uh it's not as good that's the thing about it it's not as good i mean you're not gonna get time as a flat circle you know lectures but i enjoyed it and i enjoyed just as much of the jumping around in time that it that it did. I think I think True Detective, the way that it was built, um, to mm-hmm. be mini series one off kind of thing. That's the way to do it. But it, it's it's the way to do it, but it's also very difficult to pull off. I mean it's, it's yeah. because especially when the first one yeah, hits especially gotta, when the first one hits so big, you're you're trying to follow up a massive debut album. Sure. And it's always going to fall flat. Whether in retrospect, you're like, oh, it actually wasn't that bad. It pales in comparison to the first thing you did. Um, Right. Because you had your your entire life. You have, when you make that first album, mm-hmm. you have your entire life to, you have worked every single one of those songs to the absolute fucking bone yep. that you put every ounce of talent that you have available into every single song. Mm-hmm. And then you got to follow it up. And then six months later, you have to start the process of following it up. And it's like, um, yeah. hey, what other ideas? What else? You got? I mean, yeah. I, and I don't. And some some have enough catalog where you know you can pull. Right. Um, and I don't. I don't think it was. I don't think it was bad. I think it was. I think a lot of. I think a lot of those. To follow along with the analogy of the the debut album of sure. a band, I think a lot of people listen to the second album of a band long after mm-hmm. it's done. Yeah. And then they're like. You know, maybe, hopefully they do, but yeah, and think like, oh, you know, that wasn't nearly as bad as when it first came out. You know, right? And I, I can't sh- think of any good examples off the top of my head right yeah. now. But um, Blink One Eighty Two, Sophomore Slump is real. I mean, it's. I don't think Blink One Eighty Two has I, a Sophomore I Slump. I don't know. I'm joking. This because it was brought up before. Let's did see. you did you watch the third season of True Detective? Uh, no. I think I watched maybe most of one episode and then that was about the time I had to give up my HBO account 
I'm just like, I'm kind of, I'm done with HBO. What happened to your HBO account? You oh no. Like I just like, I'm like, um, I don't, I don't need this in my life. I don't like, this that's is, how good the third season was. <laughs> well, no, it's like, it's like, it was like, I'm like, do I need 15 bucks a month for this? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're done. Moving on. Wow. These, <laughs> I'm looking up bad follow-up albums, bad follow-up albums. Um, puppies forever. Puff Daddy's Forever is on the list. Oh, uh, Hootie and the Blowfish for Fairweather Johnson. I mean, again, how are you going to follow up Cracked Rear View? You can't. You can't. It's you can't. A, one of the top 20 best-selling albums of all time. Is my question, I can the only one I can really oh. think of, Meatloaf. I love Meatloaf. I don't remember Dead Ringer <laughs> at all. I The follow-up to Bad Out of Hell. I, re, I retold that story about Kelsey Grammer and Meatloaf, by the way, and... Uh, Oh yeah, we, we haven't told that on the podcast. No, we haven't. Oh, anyhow, have before, we? No, we haven't. I don't think so. Anyhow, before we get too far, I'm gonna go and say the alb the the band Live, mm-hmm. their oh, first album Throwing Thro- Copper, Copper. Yep. and their second was like Dolphin Tears or something. If this isn't if that's not on the list, we're gonna we'll go then. We're gonna look through real quick here. Oh, no, no. I, you're not wrong though. It's you're not wrong. Like that was. Because that throwing copper had at least two, maybe three hits. I on think it. that had three hits. Mm-hmm. I want to say, but yeah, to follow up. Okay. Okay. So, so to follow up, Meatloaf, Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell, thirty million album sales, and then Dead Ringer comes out, six million dollars album sales. What went wrong? Pretty much everything at the peak of his success. Meat, of course, that's what we just call him. Because hey, hold on, no, Meatloaf is it's two it's different two, words. It's two words. It's, two different it's meat words. space loaf. Meat was drowning in drugs, his, killing his, like, himself on tour, and mired in legal battles with his former partner slash songwriter Jim. Jim Steinman. Did you know that they had a? They had a little bit of a falling out. Yeah, I would say so. There's yeah. legal battles. Well, because it's like who's Meatloaf and. Mm-hmm. Meatloaf would say, well, I'm Meatloaf, but then Jim Steinman would say, Meatloaf, you are known only for these beautiful, gorgeous songs that I've made. I have laid out a treasure trove of wonderful songs in front of you, and that's all you're good for is my songs. Okay, so we're going to wrap around to this here because this is interesting. So it says, da-da-da-da. When it came time to follow up a bat out of hell, he developed a psychological singing block, of course, because yeah. Jim Steinman's not there. That's called what that is. Uh, and Steinman eventually recorded what would become uh, bad for good on his own. Oh, yeah, that was his okay. own album. By the time Loaf, you can't do both. You can't. You, you can't, can't do me and, and then Loaf. Okay, right. It's gonna be weird for me. Well, uh, it's but, weird for everybody. Me but, and Loaf. By, by the time Loaf was ready to sign again, <laughs> the moment had passed and American audiences were no longer interested. Meatloaf's career would remain in uh, stasis until he and Steinman wised up, mended fences, and released Battle of Hell 2 in 1993. So 12 years later. But it, if I'm taking Meatloaf to court and having to prove that my presence on your album is right. valuable, I would only look to this one album that you put out after selling 30 million. I mean, right. And I mean, say like, well, I definitely was part of it. I mean, I wrote yeah. most of the songs, if not all of them. I think he wrote all of the songs. And then you put out something. Of course, then he runs in a creative, a psychological singing block. I love that. <laughs> it's just uh, the guy that writes I, the songs wasn't there anymore. So okay. I have a, I don't, should we, uh, I don't, should, what should I be singing? Uh, I forget. I, I have forget. N- never. I don't think I've, well, I want to say maybe like, uh, here's a great story time. 
so my brother Dwayne, he got married in like 1995. Mm-hmm. And that was at, the year Cracked Review came out. But oh, was it? I want to say it was 95, 95, 96. My brother got married. How much Hootie and the Blowfish was played at the wedding? Uh, I don't. I I couldn't tell you that. Anyhow, that's disappointing. <laughs> so we're at the the Afton Country Club, mm-hmm. and. They play Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Mm-hmm. And my sister-in-law, Carrie, who I love dearly, is like going crazy. Everybody's going crazy. It's a great song. It's a wonderful song. It, it, it has not been overplayed ad nauseum, I, I would say, at this point in society. Or at least not in Afton, Iowa. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Anyhow, later in, at the reception, my dad says, Carrie, hey. What was that? The, what was that song you were singing? Uh, you know, it's kind of long. You know, and you know, paradise, for par- ever. paradise by the dashboard. And, you know, she's like, oh, that's paradise. I love that song. Like it was a big thing for me. Like my eighth grade, like dance formal. We all love the shit out of that song. It's a great song. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's meatloaf. It's bad out of hell. She's like, he's like, oh, okay. Like the next day, we went to Walmart and my dad bought Bad Out of Hell on cassette. Now, my dad was a rural mail carrier, and he spent literally five to six hours in his car a day mm-hmm. driving around the back roads of Union County. So this is where your <laughs> love and deep admiration <laughs> My deep meatloaf. admiration meatloaf comes through. And he listened to that son of a bitch on repeat for like two months straight. Just Well, that's what you would do with cassette tapes. And you just would wouldn't just, take it out. He's just like, man, this this song's great. Mm-hmm. That little... And then, like, the whole, like, uh, uh, you took the words right out of your mouth. Like, mm-hmm. the weird, like, intro with uh, Jim Steinman. Uh, have you ever, you know that part? It's like, what do no. you say to the wolf with the red roses? No. Would you offer him his lips, your lips? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it's the fucking weirdest fucking thing ever. Mm-hmm. And then, would you offer you your soul? And just all this weird yeah. shit. And then he's like, ah, I bet you say that to all the boys. And then they start playing, take the words right out of my mouth. Why, are you familiar with that one? No. That oh, it's no. great. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I'm sure I it mean, is. it's as far as like songs off of Bad Out of Hell, mm-hmm. it's top three. I think I owned Bad Out of Hell on cassette. Um, Anyhow. But anyway. Dad went into a deep, like. Your me, dad. My father. Okay. Sorry. I know how much <laughs> you hate that. My father went into a, like, Deep go went really deep into uh, into meatloaf, and I want to say maybe, just maybe he also bought Dead Ringer on cassette. Might have. He, I think he did. He also. So wait a second. If wait, so how old were you at this time? Or oh, I mean, I was like twelve. No, so he would have bought. I mean, did he buy it long after the fact? Oh yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, this yeah, is, yes, this is okay. like, yeah, right. I mean, this is like a decade so and a half, two follow, decades. I'm wondering if they didn't sell Dead Ringer still. I mean. Right? It, it wouldn't start, I mean, you know, because I remember me going to Sam, being able to go to Sam Goody and 95 and say, oh, hey, do you have a dead ringer by meatloaf? I mean, they might have. And might've. then they also like had. Uh, yeah. And then he bought uh, Bat out of hell, too. And mm-hmm. also enjoyed the shit out of that. and Listen to that. I remember then when that was repeat. a revival. I remember that. And then the Eagles revival. But that was about I, the same time. Uh, I found this thing was so about the sophomore slump. About uh, it's the musical equivalent to the Bermuda Triangle, but a staggering sixty-six point 
0.25% of the time, the grades drop from their initial release based on from uh, from there they received the aggregation website album of the year comparing the scores of 80 debut records with their follow-up. So based on a scoring system that lends. Yeah, I mean. And then they go through. I'm, I'm interested in this because it's a uh, wow. Looks like the difficult second album really is a thing. It's it's so tough. these are all the bands that had a worse second, second album. album. We looked at the best debut albums of all time to find out how the artist's second album compared to the first. Okay, click the artist right. to see that. Okay, so uh, let's. Who do you want to see? We got a myriad um, of, of a Weezer. I think that's I, Weezer came up in my mind when I first. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right down it's here. It's in alphabetical order. Uh, it's not because Arctic Monkeys is right in front of me. Oh, well, I lied then. Okay, so Pinkerton. Was so Pinkerton when, really? There's oh yeah. So it went from a critic score of ninety three to critic score of ninety one. Oh, Again, that's, only, that's that's not bad. That's not a lot. Oh, um, so okay. So Stone, Metallica, they're mm-hmm. going kill them all to ride the lightning. One hundred to no, ninety five. No fucks given. I think here the cars. Oh, what are you talking about? Oh my god. Oh well. Oh, the cars one with one of the best debut albums of all time. Yeah, we're gonna follow okay. it up. Negative 30 points with Candy O. I remember that album cover just because it had a sexy lady on it. I own that album. I own both those albums, by the way. But, Interesting. But it's hard to fi- it's hard to follow up an album that literally has 10 songs on it and six of them are hits. Okay. What, what was GNR? What was GNR's follow-up album after? Uh, Ap- uh, oh, Ap- GNR, GNR Lies. Lies? I don't That's know. like a B-side tape. That's like an acoustic. I don't remember that. I, don't... I consider um, not... Um, Use your illusion. Use your illusion one and two. Yeah, but I mean, this is kind of like the follow. They also had the spaghetti incident as well. I remember listening to the spaghetti incident as a child and be like, "Okay, Arctic all Fire. right, Arcade now, Fire." See, I don't, I don't agree with this. Arcade Fire's funeral into Neon Bible. That's those. Are, that's a great one-two punch. Mm. I Oasis. Where's Where's Live in this? Come on, guys. And. I also don't agree with this either. How does Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails get an 84 and the Downward Spiral, <laughs> one of the great albums of the 90s, get a, get uh, a 76? This is one of the great one-two punches of all time. I think, I don't know. Where's, uh, where's uh, Smashing Pumpkins fit into this? That's the question. Well, they're not on the worst. so Because they went, actually, they did it the right way. They went um, mediocre debut Phenomenal no. second album, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Sadness. Great album. And they might actually be on the better here. Let's, because there's worse, same, and better. Um, but I think you're. T- well, can you even remind me what Smashing Pumpkins' first album was? Because I don't remember. Gish. What's what was the songs? I can't even tell you the hits off of that. I, I mean, so. If you want to talk about best-selling albums, best best highly rated first the, album, we're going with the. Uh, critics grade here, and and again, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the the grade system here that they're going with. I'll go back to this. Oh. Gish, Gish was a, I believe their first major label release. Did it say it went platinum? Is that what it was? Dun, 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 dun. Certified platinum. Yeah, certified platinum. So I so what songs were that? Was that? There's track listing here. Songs. I don't what? think they had a hit. I think they had. I nope. I am one. Oh, rhinoceros is. Yeah. I nope. None of this. Maybe that's just me. Like, not getting late to the party. Being, listen. 
the the alternative rock station didn't show up until I was in seventh grade. So yeah, so you so that know. was ninety five. So and I'll make sure because I'm pretty sure Gish was before. I know Gish was before Melancholy. Was Siamese so, Dream? Siamese Dream was before, in between that, and Siamese Dream had. Was there a hit had, on Siamese Dream? Yeah. Yep. Um, that had today. Today is the greatest. That would have been played. That was on Siamese. But again, I love Siamese Dream. It's it's fantastic. It's not as good as Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. Um. So that's not on this list is I mean anytime weird. anytime like you have the starting lyric being the world is a vampire like that really speaks to me that was uh that's as far as double albums go that It's a good double album. It's a perfect double album. It's it's listenable all the way through. There are hits on both sides of the album too yeah. where you have you have songs that you like to hear and again talk about having on cassette again. I initially got that that thing on cassette. On so cassette? I love cassettes because you have to, you listen to the album and you start to appreciate things that sure. you didn't appreciate the first time or that you would have skipped over, not yeah. given it a lot of time to probably like your dad's experience. Yeah. You know, having bad of the hell. And I remember I listened to Alan, Allison chains, uh, facelift for hmm. like two weeks straight. Hi. Not because I was lazy and didn't want to change out the album. It was just that, Every time I had it on and it played, it was great. So I just left it. Yeah, I'll just let it go. Yeah. I'm gonna allow, I'm, I'll allow it. So you did. I'll allow it. I'll, exactly what I did. Here's what I, here's where I start to disagree with this list. I go okay. Oasis, their first album, definitely maybe. Great album. No I doubt. don't have any clue. No clue about before What's the Story Morning Glory. No clue. But, but that, then again, can't that's just me. me. It's it's like the reverse of the cars. Okay, so the band's getting faulted for you know sixty percent of the the songs on that album being hits for the cars in the car sure. situation. Of course, you can't follow it up. Like, yeah, that's an insane hit rate for songs. How I don't know how the same scoring system works for a, a band where definitely maybe had maybe one or two hits. I couldn't even tell you a single song off of their but then first album. Half the half of what's the story? Morning Glory is hits, huge, and it's huge. got a lower grade. So I don't I don't necessarily agree with this. Uh, this is list. well, I mean the pro the problem is that it's you the, know nonsense. Well, and the same thing with Rage Against the Machine, uh, their self titled album, and Evil Empire are two great albums um how there's a 21 point difference because there's it's uh, how many people reviewed that's the question here's the problem with the we need metrics no parameters of this of concert hotel the people the people who um the number of people who reviewed their first album their self-titled album was probably a like 20 independent indie rock label i mean rock magazines Mm -hmm. and zines probably as Mm -hmm. well uh as compared to evil empire which was probably literally everybody and their mother once rolling stones got a hold of it so like it's a fair point it's a fair so i mean listen yeah everything's getting indie cred and then the net yeah, when and, they sell out then it, well no no i think it's just like you're being like hey i'm sitting here i'm supposed to be reviewing not only like hootie and the blowfish blowfish's second album mm-hmm. but i'm also supposed to be listening to this rage against machine album now which one do you think am i going to review more favorably which one's going to be like out of absolutely fucking left field something i've never heard before and you know i'm supposed to give you know oh no this is just garbage this is out of mainstream 
garbage. That's what probably a lot of people would say about Raging Against Machines, uh, the Evil Empire. That's my guess. I'm, I'm, you know, the the music critic for the New York Times or the Newsweek or Time Magazine, well, are not going to look unfavorably to Rage Against Machine compared to almost every other mainstream act. I think you're, I think you're circling around the real, uh, the real, like a real thing with the sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. The sophomore slump necessarily isn't the second album. It's your next album after, after your, your success. After your hit. Yeah. Because again, if we're looking at Smashing Pumpkins, like Gish oh. into Siamese Dream, those were two major sure. label sure. releases. Yeah. Okay. Siamese Dream was relatively successful. Gish was a um underground success. Was, I mean, yeah. definitely enough yeah. to maintain a fan base and everything. But then once Melancholy and Infinite Sadness hits, then you go well, to what I remember, was the album after that? I believe it's a door. I believe yeah, Adore, Machina, and The Breakup. So oh. the band fell apart after that. I have no And idea. I bet if I looked at grades of Adore and Machina, or I think that's how you pronounce it. I think that they, could be Machina. Yeah, they might have a weird... Um, I mean, Machina, I believe, is the is the uh, but Latin. In, in that, and that's totally within Billy Corgan's... You is know, the Latin pronunciation. He wants to do that. Adore I had wish a, I had learned Latin, by the way. You said that on the last part. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh yeah, that was you one of three to, things. Yeah, you wanted to learn that. But is are they having a sophomore slump after their after melancholy and infinite having sadness? Having three pretty well received albums with, with having it, one yeah. massive one massive album for sure. What's the ads? I mean, what was the sales between uh, Siamese Dream and Siamese Dream? You know, Gish was certified platinum. Yeah. So what was uh, what was the Siamese Dream? Was it triple platinum? I think it had to be right. Um, what does it say here? Do, 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 do. <laughs> They're neither sellouts nor one-offs after this album. Excellent. Which was a huge thing back then. Whether you're going to be sellouts, you know, and play the game, yeah, or you're going to be just a one-hit great wonder. Um, it doesn't say. Dun, 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 dun. Um. Come on. Mm, okay. Well, eventually the album was finished. Okay, that's the budget of the album. Quarter million budget? Really? Really? Can you imagine? I would love to imagine. That'd be awesome. If someone's like, here's a quarter of a million dollars, go make an album. I'll make Siamese Dream. I'll make that fucking album. I don't know. How can that even be a thing? Control Endless, find, endless resources, man. New keyboard. Okay. Okay, so here we go. For... Four, four four times platinum. Four times platinum. So Siamese dreams. Quadruple four. platinum is what the kids call it. No, they don't call that anymore. They don't. No. And then let's go melancholy. No, I'll just go melancholy. It's How fine. about that? Look at that. It should come up, right? That's just dumbing that's, down America. Okay. And then certifications. Boom. We there figured it, it out. It's diamond. Diamond. Five million. So four million to five million. That's mm-hmm. not that big of a jump. I mean, that's not like. Uh, album sales wise, no. Um, hits so, on the song and exposure, I think much more. But that's interesting. So they went from one million sales to four million sales. Well, to five million sales, which is not like. But you want to talk about looking, the jump. You're right, but it's we don't know if the jump is linear or if it's uh, after the fact. If kids, because again, this is what used to happen. Once an album hits. They're like, oh, I, I got to go listen to the early stuff. Sure. So did sure. Siamese Dream get a bump after Melancholy? Probably. Probably. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Some. 
Of course, it had to have some, but I don't know. I, would, I know much. that's. I know that's actually that's how I experience sci- or like smashing pumpkins. I my uncle told me, yeah, I was going to Sam Goody, and he's like <laughs> Sam Goody in the gonna, mall. I was gonna buy. Perfumes. It's now a who hot. Yeah, it's. They used to sell CDs, which were a thing. Anyway, it now it's who hot. Doesn't matter. Um, I you can get a with, Mongolian grill, like food there now. Not for twenty bucks, but um, yeah, you can. I went to, I was going to Sam Goody and my uncle like was at the house. Takes me an hour to eat. And he was like, you know, he's like, you need to buy Siamese dreaming. That's what you need to get. I'm like, okay. You never steered me wrong, weird uncle. I have, I have enough money to buy one album, you know, so I I will do this. And I bought Siamese dream. I loved it. So I went, I guess a little bit different, but um, I know there's kids that bought melancholy and infant sadness. And then we're like, oh, what's their earliest stuff? Because this had so many hits on it. It's this hits. had their biggest their their biggest hits on it. It's hits. Tonight, tonight, zero. Um, what? Nineteen seventy nine. It's just phenomenal. God, I mean, just bullet with butterfly wings. It's great. Really and good. Then, um, I think that was it. I think they had four hits, but that's. I mean, that's great for any album. I know it's a double album, but. It's no love below in speaker box, but. That's another great double album, though. Fabulous double album. I love album. that one. Yeah. Really? I mean... Is that your favorite double album? Um, Sure. I mean... I mean, are we counting Use Your Illusion and Use Your Illusion 2? No, that's a sequel. Is that a sequel? Yeah. Is that like Load and Reload? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but load and Reload are... I always loved, as a, as a Metallica fan, I always liked Load and Reload. I always got a lot of shit from my oh, friends no. for liking Load and Reload. Like, anytime I heard fire, it just pissed me off. mean fuel? Off. I'm sorry. Yes. Give me fuel. Give me fire. Give me that much I just saw. It's like, I fucking... Oh, see. Like, I... So, in, I my, in my younger youth days, like, when I was, like, probably a sophomore, and I would sit there, and I would lay in my bed... And Masturbate. I would just I would listen to the radio as I'm going to sleep, mm-hmm. and I think it was 10:30. Oh, they would do the Metallica, mandatory Metallica. I think was at 10:30, mm-hmm. and they did that nationwide, by the way. Did they? Yeah. Oh, it was just like, and we're fucking done, mm-hmm. and I'm turning you off. But that's because I remember, that's how big that band was, and still is to this day. It's honestly. time for mandatory Metallica. Here it is, Master of Puppets. I'm like, oh, get out of here with your cheesy ass fucking stare. Get wait out a second. Wait a second. Don't click. Do not off. talk shit about Master of Puppets, okay? It's like no. When I'm I, not going to allow you to do it. I like had a really wonderful time listening to the Black Album as a 13 year old boy. Love you know loving the Black Album because mm-hmm. oh man, this is some hard rock. You know that's the what that's what a 13 year old like. As far as enjoying hard rock, mm-hmm. that's that's what it is. Would your niece like the Black Album? Um, she'd be like, All right, whatever this corny horseshit is. <laughs> it's great. It's a great album. Anyway, go on. No, but anyhow, anyhow, I just, I fucking just, I'm like, you guys, you're corny as shit. Like, it's just, it's it's a little too corny. And no, what are you talking about? Like, as far as. For me, Metallica was always hair metal that took themselves too seriously. Whoa, whoa! You're so far off base. They're coming. There's there's many levels in different families of metal. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, Metallica I, at no point is hair metal. Is hair metal? 
No. They were they were thrash speed metal, which was uh, a whole different thing. And it was the 80s. So, yeah, there was hair involved, but um, there was no eyeliner or spandex involved. They wore some spandex. No, they did not. They I wore mean, leather. I'll get I'll grant you leather, but um, n- no spandex. Between, no, no. For what you're thinking of, like rat and striper and poison, the Metallica was often this other brand of metal that was much more punk rock and anything but no it's not the same beast it's they actually moved from los angeles because of all the hair metal bands to san francisco because they were tired of the los angeles music scene i also remember listening watching their behind the music and be like oh i love that fuck you guys like that's all like fuck you guys i don't like there's something i like just those guys and maybe it was. I'll defend Metallica all day. Long. Maybe some of it was like Lars. Yeah, and is Lars? Can Lars be a a dick? I'm sure he can be. And like me and not me, my buddies. But I want uh, Lars to be my friend. That's the thing. I like if if I have to choose between Lars being my enemy or my friend, I want to be my friend all day long. My buddies were, I would say, pretty cutting edge edge on the downloading music on Napster stuff. Uh-huh. And and it's like, oh. But it, and then you got Lars over here. But if you're going he was right about that though. He was right in every way, shape, or form. He was right about that. It killed the industry. It killed it. And he called it. And he was just the guy I think there is I think there is a way for them to probably work. There's listen, if you're to if you're telling me that the music industry did not drag their fucking feet, no, every, I'm not saying that. Every, I'm saying I'm saying that he called that it's going to be the demise, it's, and it's well, also a problem when you have when you have people in the studio stealing your songs and putting it up there because yes. that's also oh, what yeah, was happening. That, that's too. that's a problem. Right. No, okay. My thing is, I think that you want to be you want to be you want to be on the cutting edge. You want to be on the forefront. You want to get ahead of the wave. Mm-hmm. And the music industry was not it. We, I mean, we've gone back and forth a little bit on, you know, music downloads and the state of music today, and you know yeah. what's happened. We don't um, need to get bogged down on it again. We don't need to get bogged down on it. But I do think that it was okay. What can we do? Can we get ahead of this? And they couldn't. They couldn't. They had opportunities to do it for sure. I I don't. I but think, that's not Lars Ulrich's fault. I think I think it a little bit was because he led the charge. He led the he led the litigation side. He he wasn't leading the no no. Okay, that was long after that was long after the record industry passed up on it like multiple times, two or three times. They had the opportunity to start moving towards that, and they didn't. And then they could have monetized it. They could have released it. They didn't do it. CD sales were at an all time high when when they yeah. were, were approached with it. Um, Aerosmith was the first one to ever release a song digitally for download, like in oh, yeah. 1996 or something like that. Was that like, pink? It might've been, but it took forever to download. But again, it was the precursor. That was the first time there's actually a great documentary online about, uh, mm. Napster. And, um, because it, again, it, it's one of the situations where not one party, like the parties that are in the public eye. You know, the guy that started Napster or Lars Ulrich are the parties in the public eye. Sure, sure. Like good guy, bad guy. When it's really that kind of going back to the wire, the third, the third <laughs> element of everything. 
There's you got actually Sonny Bono. Then you got then you have the record industry that actually was the the people that had the opportunity to right. make this decision and they didn't do it. Someone took advantage of that and somebody else pointed that out. And both sides are right because it's I I and I want to say like as somebody I love copyright law. I think copyright law is a very interesting part of the American system mm-hmm. of 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 law and ju- in our judicial system. I think it's it's a really interesting part. I enjoy it. I think it's fucking bloated as shit. I think there's a real problem with it. Mm-hmm. The idea that uh you know, I can you can right now, you can make a song right now and you can live until you're 109 and then it's going to be another 7 years after you die that that song is going to be stuck in purgatory mm-hmm. forever. And I that, you can't make money on that song anymore anyway. So that doesn't really matter. I mean, I see what you're saying, but so it like the copy, monetary value yeah, of that of copy, is I think gone. I think copyright is just like uh, and it's all Disney's fault. <laughs> just uh, What else is new? <laughs> FYI, it's all Disney's fault with the Sonny Bono Act of Copyright Act of mm-hmm. 1996. It's garbage. Mm-hmm. Um and so I enjoy I enjoy copyright. I believe in copyright. I think people that should be get paid for what they've done. But sitting there and clinging to an old system that and and understanding that the world's changing, you know, the digital age was a wave. It was a total shift in paradigm and how we look at things and to into leap and to try to ride that wave and try to un- navigate those waters is going to be difficult. Well, but instead I think the record industry just sat there and cling. They just yeah. cling. They cling. They, yep, they cling to the $25 album. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Um, and you can also understand kind of like we were talking about with like an original idea last episode, like it, you could go a lifetime with thinking you had an original right. idea right. and you just never had the ability to cross reference that right. and figure out, so I understand the basis of it. And then but, listen, and then you have record industries today going after and suing having the family of Marvin Gaye and the Marvin Gaye estate suing people for anything that sounds remotely like Marvin Gaye and being are you able talking to talking about the Pharrell and like for, Robin Thicke. Yeah. That I mean, was a legit lawsuit. I mean I, I, That was yeah. The, the whether pro- whether they could sell it out of court or go to go to court cuz uh, the Sam Smith Tom Petty um I th- issue was was the same. Sam Smith song, uh, I forget what it was, but uh, it was I, I, I won't back down. It was it was. It, it it does. It does sound like it won't I won't back down. No, it's the same chord progression slowed down. I, whether he maliciously did it or not doesn't matter. Right. But Tom Petty didn't take him to court. He just said, you know, give me 25% of the songwriting or whatever. Really? Tw- I mean, I don't like 25% is I think a lot. Just outside of going taking you to court and taking it all. Okay, so it's either he might have just been added actually as a songwriter, honestly, and then just gotten some royalties, some royalties, yeah, some royalties from it. Like the idea of being kind of a dick and a full-on dick. Tom Petty was not a dick in that situation. He could have been a giant dick. He could have been a giant dick, but like, I think it was. If I'm thinking about it again, he was just added. He just added as as a songwriter. Did he get royalties out of that? Of course, you do. Yeah, I mean. Because that's what happens when you write a song and then someone slows it down and takes the same chord progression and melody, mind you, and then just does their own song with it. It's for me, it, they sound fairly different. I mean, you have to like, you have to really 
Think about it. And also, I, I mean, if you're going to take it to court, you have to prove. Stay with me. That's what it was called. And if you do, if stay with me. Because here's what I did. I yes. went, won't back down. Yes. And I slowed yes. it down to my fucking head. And I was like, you're oh, hmm, won't back <laughs> down. Yeah. Stay with me. It's the same fucking song. I, I think. Now, whether he did it or maliciously. not. Maliciously. No. I, I, don't, I, th- I think that's, for me, like, that, that that's the thing, is, like, doing it maliciously. And that's not like with mal not malice. What's the word I want to say with uh with the uh, intent intent. But mm, but right. to your point though, and again, it ties back to like the Snapster thing, and it ties back to what we're talking about. Like yeah. if what I'm doing, even if I'm not doing it with malicious intent, yeah. But I'm still doing something that is stepping on someone's toes, or doing something that someone else has done, or infringing on that. I need to. It depends on how you want to handle it. Now, Marvin Gaye's estate is going to handle it by going to going to court. Tom Petty is going to say, "Just add me as a songwriter," and then we're done with it. And so, that's and that's if you get hit in the back uh, yeah. driving your car, people can claim that their neck is hurt and sure, take you to court and sure. sue you, or be like, "Give me a thousand dollars." My my problem my problem is with with especially like blurred lines of Marvin Gaye, is that. It was a big piece of evidence was they said we were influenced by Marvin Gaye. We wanted to make a Marvin Gaye-esque song. Mm-hmm. We want a song that kind of has that same vibe. So if I say what who I am being influenced as, if I say who I'm being influenced as, that can be held against me in the court of law. That pisses me off. I should be able to say, you know who's really influenced me is... X, Y, and B band. Mm-hmm. And that band, hopefully, my people who enjoyed my music so, would go back and, and listen to their music as well and understand where I'm coming from and the vibe that we're going for. Right. And, and, and I get that. So, and look, I love Pharrell Williams. I don't like Robin Thicke at all. I think he's a piece of shit, but and that doesn't matter right now. But I, I, I really did follow like this. When I get you alone. I, I followed this pretty closely when it was happening. Also, I like Alan Thicke. <laughs> I like Alan Thicke much more than his offspring, but um, I remember I was following this pretty closely because it was interesting to me. Like I've always, these are always interesting. interesting. It's interesting. Um, I believe if I remember incorrectly without looking it up, um, the, uh, the track was a sample that they took from a Marvin Gaye song that was an uncredited. It was like crowd noise from an, from a Marvin Gaye song that they used on with uncredited. And I, rem- I, I'm pretty sure that's what the issue was with the lawsuit, or the no, why they, I, no, and no, then I, that, and then they corroborated it by saying they wanted to make it like a Robin or like no, a. I want to say Marvin Gaye. I want to say no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you on this okay. one. We can look it up. I want to say that these copyright laws, when it comes to like the actual writing of melodies and shit mm-hmm. like that, only goes off of the sheet music. If I put in front of you the sheet music of both of these songs and they look too familiar and it's the same pro, pro in the same chords or, you know, same progression, same beats per minute, something like that. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, they can say they can only go off what's been submitted to the copyright office. Samples included though. Not, not, not including samples. No, cause not for songwriting. Uh, S- samplings, samplings, a different license. We're going to look it up here. Ready? Correct me if I'm wrong. I love noticeably ripped off when he wrote Robin Thicke. Did, okay. Maybe he was in the room. I, I don't want to. <laughs> he says he was like too coked out of his mind to really 
Right. That's like uh, I listen, love how that is. <laughs> my Isn't my, it awesome if my defense is just Dick? I was just too coked out. I, my defense is I was just too coked out. Right. I think that was like his defense. <laughs> well, yeah, but again, if I'm too coked, this is the problem with songwriting credits. Is if mm. I'm too coked out in uh, my mind in the studio with Pharrell making songs, yeah. I get songwriting credits because I was there in the room. It's the whole Family Guy Ben Affleck yeah. joke, but. uh yeah, because I, I, mean, I remember I also was following this pretty closely as well because I think it's copyright law is something I'm weirdly like. Def, like Well, when it comes to songs and everything, I, I, I really enjoy it because there are a lot of great examples. There's, there's a ton where you're like, and again, I really think a very small percentage of them are intent to rip off. Sure. I really think a lot of it's, I forget what they call it, but... Um, I mean, it's uh, a, I mean that's subliminal, but it's you know I I've heard the song a gazillion times. It is in my subconscious. It is buried deep with inside me. Listening to won't back down, and that is buried deep inside me. Mm-hmm. That is like signatured on my soul forever. I know that song, and if I like, but the problem is it's just like it's just so. And I remember listening to, gotta give it up, and to be like. Uh, You're right. He was high. He was drunk and high on Vicodin. Is what it's. Oh, oh not cocaine. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> my, my apologies. My Robin apologies. Robin Thicke. <laughs> it's just Frank drunk Michelle. and high on. <laughs> no, he's not. Um. Anyway, you're saying uh, that he was barely involved in production, claiming that Williams wrote almost every single part of the song. That's what I'm saying about <laughs> pop artists. That's what I'm saying. You give Pharrell. Pharrell. I don't, and I don't like shitting on Pharrell. I think Pharrell I is, think for, is an amazing. Genius. He's an amazing producer, and I don't think, I don't think he would do anything malicious like this. Right. I mean, listen. Hey, now, does that mean he's not wrong, or does he doesn't mean that he's? You know what? I love stepping I love, on toes. I love those songs where it's like that. I love that groovy, sexy hooks of of Marvin Gaye. I want to make kind of a groovy, sexy song like Marvin Gaye today. So um, how can I do that without having their fucking estate coming after me, trying to claw every fucking dime I've ever made ever. So, and that's, and that's my problem. So this it's also, so it's, it's citing the GQ article that says, uh, that also cited where thick said he'd stolen from gay, including uh, telling GQ that one of his favorite, uh, songs was got to give it up. And he told Williams that he should write a song with that same, same groove. groove. Okay, and, and that's and that's bullshit. Okay. I, in my opinion, that's bullshit. Like I should be, able but to, that's wanna, not the only thing we found so far. I want to make a, I want to make a song. I want to make a song that's kind of like this. Mm-hmm. I want to make a song that's kind of like that, but I want to do it for fucking thirty fucking years later. I want to make a song thirty. You know, the and the idea that. 30 years after like I made a song, my family is coming after trying to claw money. And that's what it is because it's not Marvin Gaye. I mean, God bless Marvin Gaye, RIP. I love him, but it's his fucking children's children. So here's, so what you're getting to with the, the sheet music is that uh, the admissible evidence in court. So them playing the song, they can't, they, they can't it, play the song. Correct. So the admissible evidence in court was only sheet music. So that's not the only, and that's only, and the thing is like, that's the interesting thing is like, um, somebody did this where, you know, uh, anytime a guitar solo happened, uh, 
if the record company was lazy and you know their 19 year old kid that they hired to trans uh transcode not transcode not transpose tra- transpose mm-hmm. the, sh- the the music to sheet music you know if i'm robert plant and i'm doing my big noodling solo and they do a shitty job of of writing that down then it's not admissible and it can be used and I could sample that, and they have absolutely no rate, not sample, but I can like redo Robert Plant's solo on the guitar, and there's no way for you to come after me. Are you talking about Jimmy Page? You're saying Robert J- Plant? I, I mean, I, Robert I, Plant doesn't play anything. I don't fucking know. Okay, well, you okay? But yeah, same band. Sounds same sorry. band. Sorry, yeah. same band. Yeah. But they're also a very. Uh, uh, and shitty, they, example. They're shitty, exa- they're they're shitty example. Stole. I mean, just like there's a laundry stra- list. I mean, straight up stole. Yeah. I mean, and and that's I mean that's the difference between. So I'm gonna straight up steal this thing. This you know uh, talk about a whole malicious lot of love. Intent. That's a whole lot of love. If that's not malicious intent, I don't know what it is. It's as compared to Sam. Uh, Sam, what is his name? And and oh, uh, Sam Tom Smith. Petty. Sam Smith and Tom Petty. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a one-off versus the countless examples of Led Zeppelin. It's multiple for every album. Right. And Jimmy Page's uh, work as a studio guitarist and the amount of stuff. And again, whether I'll, I'll even uh, entertain the idea that he had worked on enough stuff that the original stuff can be derived from that. It depends yeah. on how everyone wants to play it out. Sure. The if you listen to stair the stair uh, stairway to heaven and then um, the yeah thing, yeah i've never really gotten behind it being similar i can um, i can hear it but once again i think that's that's literally okay i changed two notes or or something like that and it's not like we're not finding a, a an example or like a definitive reason why the juror said the jury said um, they favored in Martin because I mean, they did ask for they did ask for twenty five million and they were only awarded five million. So um, yeah, and, and for me, and this is and this is the other thing is that it's the estate. That's what pisses me off. You know, I you know, I come from, you know, the idea of like my my children get not, nothing like you know ever. That's the idea that. My children get to, okay, story time. Mm-hmm. I have a book called Things I've Said to My Children. It's been published and- Where can it, they find it? They can find it on Amazon.com. Oh, fun. <laughs> Through, uh, uh, what's who's my publisher? Not Random House. Ran, it's a subsidiary of Random House. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Anyhow. Are you it, big licking me? Hmm? Are you big licking me? I'm not big licking you because okay. it's a subsidiary. It's not okay. random. Anyhow. Uh, Ten Speed Press. That's the that's the subsidiary of Random House. That friend of the show. Friend of the show. Okay. I follow them on Twitter. Anyhow, and follow us on Twitter at <laughs> tcba underscore podcast. That's a thing. It is. Anyway. Anyhow, <laughs> um, the so the idea that my children, right? Okay, let's say my children. They go ahead and they they have kids, mm-hmm. right? My grandchildren. My kids die. I'm dead. But it's 70 years after I'm dead. My grandchildren and my grandchildren's grandchildren have a right to something I made. Okay, so. But it, that, that's, what, that's what I find to be absolutely fucking absurd. 
Right. But I'm going to live on the on the world where they're defending. Let's say you were truly, truly ripped off and you were being um, exploited and then just taking advantage. Right. Of there's that world. And then there's the money grab world. Both exist. Both are all, all those decisions exist in any decision we make in America. In, sure. Like, but, but copyright has such fucking teeth. Uh, it yes, it does. And it doesn't because, again, going back to the, if you got lawyers, if you have lawyers, but also these songs existed. I mean, this lawsuit came from let's think here to this is from 2015. These were. I mean, they actually, they go through here, actually, how many people, how much money they made from this song. It's, I don't know how much money they made. No, no. How much money the, they, they did go through this. Um, a testimony of the jury learned that the song, uh, of the summer earned its composers close to $17 million of which 5.6 million went to thick about 5.2 went to. Williams. Oh, that's, oh, you know, that's God. the, you know what? You want to talk about a crime. <laughs> you you want to talk, talk about a crime. That's, that's it. The crime right that's there. the crime right and there. Seven hundred thousand went to TI. <laughs> the rest went to the record companies. Oh yeah. Uh, Williams earned four point three in its publishing from the song, and uh, eight hundred sixty thousand for being its producer. That's, uh, yeah, that's the crime. That's the real yeah. crime that Robin Thicke, who admittedly five, was drunk and high on Vicodin, made five point six million dollars because his dad it. was the dad on Growing Pains. I'll, oh my god. Did you did you ever listen to Robin Thicke's When I Get You Alone? No. Oh no! It's I mean I really enjoyed it. Like, I, here's what maybe, I here's the two things I hate most because, in the world: uh, Beethoven or whatever. I hate Mozart. I hate nepotism. pop stars that have no fucking talent whatsoever and nepotism. And yeah. you put those two things together, and you get your Miley oh, Silas's oh. and the Robin Thicks of the world who have worked together. Uh, no, no shocker there. Um, oh, I don't remember that one, but go ahead. Well, they were it was in the article anyway. Uh, no, so I have no time of day for those fucking people. Yeah, and they he makes point four more million dollars than Pharrell just on the song, just on the the earnings from the song. Sure, and to make seventeen million dollars on a song, even in twenty fifteen, that's insane. That's oh, was it a good song? Uh, I mean, it's it's okay. Pharrell's made much better songs. I like. I distinctly remember this song. Like I was driving down to Davenport and I'm like, Florida. Oh, oh, what the fuck is this? And I <laughs> turned it up and I'm like, this is making my, this is making the hairs on the back of my neck tingle. Mm-hmm. This is fucking solid. Yeah. Pharrell has an amazing touch with pop songs. And then like, and then I'm like, oh man, that was a good song. And then changing channels. And driving a little bit farther down the road to a different station, uh, came on again. I'm like, same song. This is fucking gold. Well, it's the, it was the song in the summer. But again, that, that had to be the biggest song of the year. It was huge. It was. The, I, mean, I want to say that was the same time. Uh, that was the same episode uh, summer as uh, Get Lucky with Daft Punk. Also with Pharrell. It, it was. Yeah, it was the same. Was I want to say that was the same summer. I want to say it was earlier, but anyway. it's no, that's the same fucking summer. I think Pharrell had a huge fucking summer that year. It's fucking in fucking insane. 2013. 2013. So a couple years before. Huh? Yep. 2013. When was uh 2015 was what we were looking no, at. Th- here. Well, that was the, that was when they settled out of court. 
son. Blurred lines. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here. I'm gonna fucking condescend you. You fucking piece of ass. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> You're not wrong. It's kind of gross. Give me your goddamn <laughs> July 2013. 2013. Okay, yeah. I remember being on the Daft Punk side of that one. So. I mean, both of them. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. He had a great run. I yeah. mean, he's still on a great run. Pharrell's, <laughs> Pharrell has an amazing uh, discography. I, I remember like, I want to say I was in freshman in high school. Or no, college. Mm-hmm. When uh, Lap Dance Mm-hmm. By N.E.R.D. came yeah. out. And I'm like, that's good. That's good. It's a great blend of hip hop, rock, and pop. Like, yeah. He really understands. And again, I'll always go, I'll always defend Kanye. I'll always defend Pharrell. I'll always defend Outkast. Um, just pop artists like Rick Ocasek of the Cars. Mm-hmm. Um, can't not. Phil Spector. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but more like pop artists that understand the totality of what they're creating. Sure. I think they should get more credit again. Like he shouldn't make 4,000 or, you know, $400,000 less than Um, Robin Thicke because of the deal that they signed. Right. When Robin Thicke by his own admission said that he was just drunk and high in Vicodin while Pharrell was writing the song. Hey, and organizing it like it's so much work. Here, so much here's work. here's the deal. How about this? Mm-hmm. Why don't we give Robin Thicke a little bit of credit? If I'm Robin Thicke, no. If I'm Robin Thicke and I'm like, I need to make a hit song. I'm going to. I've been given money, my contract. I need to. I need to get a hit song. I'm gonna get Pharrell. I'm gonna pay him. This is supposed to be my song, but I'm gonna give him almost. The same amount of money. That's and not Robin Thicke's decision. That's his manager's decision. Mm, That's his record label's decision. You're giving. You're not giving Alan Thicke's kid enough. <laughs> no, no. You're not understanding how the record industry works. Like, this is. You're gonna get Pharrell in. You're gonna get Pharrell. We need in. you to have a hit, so we're gonna bring you in. That's why Taylor Swift's albums have like 14 different producers on it for oh. a 12 track album, because they're bringing in whoever hits. It's I go back to like Mutt Lang and Shania Twain. Like it's it's a rarity or even like a Jim Steinman meatloaf kind of relationship where you're if you can find somebody that can produce and work and make the because they've Jim Steinman, like you said, like it said, released what would have been the follow up himself. It wasn't nearly as successful as Battle of the Hell one. But then you got to tell people who Jim Steinman is. But I mean, like that. I mean, that's what part of the problem is. But. But also, there's there's Meatloaf's delivery of Jim Steinman's songs creates the team. This is that's the whole thing. Like Elton John and uh, Bernie Taupin are a great example too. So Elton I John, I don't know who Bernie Taupin is. By the Bernie way, Bernie Taupin is uh, Elton John's lyricist. Like has been uh, his uh, entire career. Yeah. So if you think yeah. about Elton John's songs, what a, one of the be- <clears throat> best things about him is the imagery of the lyrics. And that's Barry Topin, huh? Yeah, Bernie oh, Topin. Ber- Bernie? Bernie, yep. And that's a real person. That's a real person. Okay. And is that a movie? This, is this a movie? It's a play. If anything, it's a play, by the way. Just FYI. What? Bernie Topin? No, like uh, the idea of having... I want I want to see like three acts of this... Oh. You, uh, I want to see three acts of this Early story. Early success, fall apart, and re- revival? Or like or maybe, or maybe that's it. I want to see... It's the same... It's the same two actors. It's a two-person play, 
mm-hmm. for this. It's a two-person play, but it is played uh, before success, during success, and after success mm-hmm. of, uh, let's, I mean, who is, uh, should be Pharrell Williams and <laughs> Pharrell Williams. And, no, there's better examples. Uh, well, no, I mean, but, I mean, uh, you know, Jim Steinman, Meatloaf. Meatloaf, yeah. And <clears throat> who was the other one? We just had one. Bernie Topin and Elton John, or and Mutt Lang and Shania Twain. Mutt Lang and Shania Twain. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then, yeah, Barry Topin. And Celine Dion and her husband, who's Cel- dead. Yeah. Oh, he's dead? Yeah, he died. And also Jim Steinman, because Jim Steinman wrote uh, two yeah. Celine of Dion's Celine Dion's biggest hits. But, <clears throat> but the idea, two, yeah. okay, it, it, I have the same two actors playing different characters at different point in that producer-musician relationship mm-hmm. before, during, and after. We're convoluting it, too, because, again, Pharrell is... I. I know I'm getting inside Listen, baseball, but Pharrell, he, wrote, he wrote all of it. But yet Pharrell is as much a songwriter as he is a producer and vice versa. Like mm-hmm. um, there yeah. are definitely in, in Jim Steinman is probably more. Was he a producer? on? Battle I think he's, I think he's a, technically a producer. I mean, he wrote all the songs, but uh, I want to say he also technically produced it. I want to say, because those are just, those are totally different jobs and to be able to do both of those things. And again, not to take anything away from, especially in Meatloaf's case, mm-hmm. the delivery and the the ability, the ability to sing to, those songs. Because sometimes it is like the appendage yeah. on a on a larger body, you know, like sure. Um, you remove one of them, and then the body's not nearly as strong. Yeah. I can't. I know like, there's probably when I, a better when I write my concerto. There, it, Todd I Rundgren. Have... Todd Rundgren was the producer. Holy fucking shit! Who's the, no? I don't want to work. I just want to bang on my drum all day. Oh, that was Todd, Todd Rundgren. Todd Rundgren. 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 What else did he? Uh... He played. He's he's been around. I yeah, didn't but know. what's he? Uh... He was the only producer on Bad Out of Hell, by the way. Interesting. God, what a great album. But so in the work in the work that Todd hit. Rundgren and Jim Steinman did in Bad Out of Hell, Pharrell did solely and with a little help from Ti to make blurred oh, lines. Oh no, Ti no Ti was just brought in probably as a um, To do it first. He got 700,000. He got 700,000. That was just for his rap interlude. That's what I'm saying. So he did a little bit. He did, he did his rap interlude with Pharrell. But from he what He probably was a lyricist, but that was about it. But that's the thing that Robin Thicke didn't even get. He didn't even get Oh no, right. Right. Cuz they they talked about you, how I know you want to shit all over Robin Thicke, friend of the show. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean you're not wrong. I, I understand where the talent is, and Pharrell is where the talent is. Also, T.I. is also talented. Yeah, man. Advocating for social change. Uh, T.I. is? I believe there was something that he was doing to bring uh, up. I mean, with... listen, he went to prison, so he's probably all about prison. What for, was T.I.'s cause? I think it was something. Uh, probably, like, Sleep. prison reform, because he went to prison for, like, some pretty, I mean, he was, like, third strike gun charges, I want to say. Like he had a couple of run-ins or like actual like run-ins where he probably should have gone to jail, like shooting people as a youth. And then why is T.I. not just come up right away? T.I. T dot I. I guess I got to do the extra I. The rapper. Uh, Yeah, that's a keyboard. I mean, I remember enjoying T.I. I I thought he was talking about something. I mean, he's against I mean, he's against people getting shot. I mean, if that, and we are as well, friend. Of oh, the show. speak for yourself. <laughs> you don't get to talk for me, Bobby. Anyway, I thought he, I thought he had a different cause, but anyway, um, but no, going back to like, 
the I really liked him in ATL. Did you watch that movie about roller skating? I did not. No, I remember <laughs> it coming out. But you could do yourself a favor. No, I won't. No, do yourself a favor and <laughs> listen to Todd Rudgren's "Bang on My Drum All Day." It's classic. It's good. Oh, it's great. I mean, it's an excellent work anthem. Yeah. Well, he also produced one of your favorite albums. So it's a great album. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really good album. What else is he? Uh, what else has he produced? Produced. That's the real question. And this is why we need like an IMDb page for musicians. I mean, my buddy, my buddy in college came up with that concept. Like, what other albums did Todd Rungan produce? Mm-hmm. Um, really? Well, yeah, because it's really convoluted. It's, uh, As a producer. Oh, here. Here's his productions and stuff. Those are just selected ones. Remote Control, mm. The Tubes. Um, what was their hit? They had a hit. They had a hit? Um, Dreams Come True. TV but again, team. we're looking at we're looking at uh, Next a person like Pharrell who can do both <laughs> the writing and the producing of it. Yeah, and you're, you're separating it out, you're parceling it out, and again, maybe that's just spreading around a paycheck, but because you have a budget, some to spend. of it, some of it is, some of it is. But what I, is, I think nowadays where what costs two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars? Gish, no, a Siamese dream. Siamese dream. Yeah, yep. How much did it cost to make just blurred lines? Just blurred lines. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to find a budget for blurred lines. I mean, here's the deal: can it honestly cost? I mean, if I'm the best singer ever, right? To get the mechanical license, just to have the recording of the song of the best singer ever. I mean, thirty thousand dollars is that too much? I, I mean, well, you're looking at studio time. That's, I mean, really, that's what it is. I and, mean, look, as in, far as like even charging, in twenty, even twenty twelve. But going, but going back to why everything twenty thirteen, why everything was failing, like why everything was working to a point, and then when it just shut yeah. off, like when someone just shut off the faucet, yeah, is because you had. You had a contract where you could sign and you'd be given a loan that you have to repay back. So there was no risk for the, the record label whatsoever. Because right, right. if you didn't, you just, you'd always Loaded. have to pay it back. It's a write-off. Yep. And, but if you did, you probably had a hit and you probably made money for everybody because you get a percentage of the profits. And then there's a, a budget for making music videos. Hmm. There's a next budget for your, your album based on yeah. the previous success of your other album. Um, you're just there's constant ways to make money. There's and then if and we there's need, a constant way to funnel to look like so, you lost money. By the way, that's the other thing. Sure, but if I'm a rec, if I'm a studio, if I'm a label, and again, you're recording at our studios, you, we gave you a loan. You're using our stuff. I'm charging you on rent, a loan I'm that renting. I gave you. I'm renting to you, like yeah. from money I loaned. It's all you. funny money. That's what I'm hearing. It's all funny. It money. is, but that's where like when they say like studio time, what costs the most. It's because the record label set the studio time and they gave them the money to do it. They're like, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollars, but guess what? It's a thousand dollars an hour for studio time. So, you know, sorry or whatever, you know, whatever dollar amount they want to put on it. And then when I bring in the London Philharmonic, that's extra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard that somewhere. Yeah. What was that? That was a <laughs> Simpsons joke. Was it? I'm, I'm literally pulling, I mean, talking about coming up with the same ideas. Yeah. What was it? Uh, I don't know. The it was Boston a lot of Philharmon- the Smashing Pumpkins were in that episode. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Someone ordered the London Philharmonica, possibly while <laughs> uh, high. Uh, was it Peter Frampton? Was no, it Peter Frampton? Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton was in that episode. Public right? Enemy, I'm looking. No. 
Uh, God, it wasn't public. Enemy. Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. I'm looking at you. Cypress Hill. I'm looking at you. <laughs> like, do you know Insane in the Membrane? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. That's good. That's, That's a great good. Simpsons joke. That's, That's good. A great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The London Philharmonic. Yeah. Cypress Hill. I'm looking at you. Possibly while high. <laughs> but that's again, that's a comment on how like egregious the music industry was in the right. mid 90s, where you're like, right. oh, yeah, we got really high and we, we did we order the London Philharmonic. That, that, mm, that's the whole thing. And then it sounds really great. So, uh, story time. Okay. So, fourth grade. For the fourth and fifth grade every other year, mm-hmm. you would. As part of music class, we would record us lip syncing a song. Sixth grade, what year is this? Like, huh, so this was, I gotta do math here. Hold on. Mid 90s. Yeah, it's like a, no, fifth, sixth, hold on. Yeah, so it was a 90. You guys are using camcorders? Yeah, with a camcorder. It was like 94, 95. Okay. Just an, it's hey, an expensive no, not, bit. 90, 94. 94. Yeah. Still an expensive <laughs> it's an bit. An expensive bit. And uh, yeah, so it was like, okay, you guys, um, go ahead and make a song. Enjoy. I mean, whatever song you want to play, and we'll record you lip singing. That was the that was the uh, project for music class. Mm-hmm. And somebody did Cypress Hill, Insane in the Membrane. Insane in the Brain. Sorry. You it, was, it was great. It was great. Yeah. I pro- I was uh, a part of uh, the production of three music videos as part of this project. Huh. Um, three separate music videos. Yeah, had a song called Three. One of them was "Country Boy Can Survive." By I'm not familiar. I that's Charlie Daniels. Okay. I think. And then also, uh, Taco. Uh, what's a. Uh, Rico Suave, but it's Weird Al's version of uh, Taco Grande. Okay. Going back to yeah. comedy. comedy and, then, and then uh, a Leader of the Pack version. Okay. Like, I think that was a... Oh, no. Or, no, I take that back. I don't remember. Anyway. Yeah. It wasn't... It was crazy. That was the thing. That's all it... Like, anytime I think about Cypress Hill, I always come back to that moment in time. It was after, like, I grew up and understood that both MC Hammer and Vanilla Ices were bitches. Mm-hmm. And in the rap game. In the rap game. Not in real life. Not in real Well, listen, people tell you that Hammer is, he's hard. Like, yeah. he grew up in the Bay. Don't fuck with Rob Van Winkle. Don't, like, listen, Hammer, he'll fucking, he'll cut a bitch. <laughs> like, he'll, no, he found Jesus. I don't think he'll, 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 he'll cut a bitch. He'll knock somebody out. There was, a, there was a great, uh, there was a documentary called Ghost Ride the Whip mm-hmm. <laughs> about Bay Area rap culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just and, love the term Ghost Ride the Whip. Are you familiar? Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. But, yeah, there was a whole. Where you hang outside your car and, and, and drives. Just and walk. And, and, and it was narrated by Sway. Uh, Troy from the community says ghost ride the jib on one of the episodes. Where Do, oh, does he? Yeah. He's <laughs> ghost riding the jib. Oh, man. Where they're on a sailboat. <laughs> and I thought that was a great play. Oh, man. That's. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. Because that was. Uh, who was uh, the six million, six million dollar man? Steve uh, Austin. Uh, well, that's the character's name. Who's the uh, actual actor? Yeah. Who's the actor's name? Oh, 
I don't know. Steve Austin is the character's name of the six million dollar man. Yeah, the I don't actor's I... name is doesn't matter. Doesn't anyhow. Matter. He was the captain. He was the boat captain. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, cool. FYI. Shut it, 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 I did not know that. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyhow. So, where were we at? Oh, anyhow, Ghost Ride the Whip. Ghost Ride the Whip. <laughs> at one point, I think it was like E40, or maybe somebody else, like, it was after an E40 interview. It was like, uh, no, Ham- MC Hammer will fuck you up. That He's fucking hard. He was like, or is? I mean, like, is? I mean, he is from. This was made in like the late 90s, right? Oh, no, no. This is like mid 2000s when Ghost Ride the Whip came out. Yeah, well, the I thought the documentary was a little older than that, but. Yeah, no, but like, uh, as far as what? What? I thought it was just like a. I thought it was a like an underground documentary made and then it like research or like it got to mainstream. No. But anyway. I mean, it was like. But Hammer, was, Hammer found Jesus, like. Oh no! I remember like Hammer like saying like MC stands for like uh like something Christian, Master Christian or something like yeah. that. And, and like, he tried to go hard after after Hammer time. I there's a when gangster rap got around. There's a wonderful. I this is an excellent like I'm sure you could probably write an entire like five page paper on it mm-hmm. for all all you college kids listens. Um, where Hammer released two. So after he got signed to Death Row, I think it was Death Row. I don't believe MC Hammer was ever signed to Death Row. I think he was signed. Look it up. Anyway. Anyhow, after he got signed to Death Row, he did a song called Pumps in the Pumps in a Bump. I remember the the hardcore song he did. And and he released two different. uh, He released two different music videos. One was where he was pretty hardcore gangster with a okay. with a ski cap and gold chain. And the other one yeah. was straight up booty video. Yeah. Where he was wearing a like very cheetah, loose fitting cheetah print thong isk mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And his I'm gonna go ahead and say ding dong was flopping yeah. all over the place. His hammer was flopping. His hammer was flopping. Yeah. Also, Ron Jeremy like showed up at yeah. one point in the video. You're right. He did sign. With he signed with Suge in '95. In '95, in pumps, in, pumps and a bump yeah. is the fucking. I remember that video. Both videos are fucking ridiculous mm-hmm. and very like, as far as being like. Both very at the zeitgeist of their time, as far as like their booty video and their in their gangster video, they're for the same fucking song, but they both like pumps and a bump. Yeah, it's it was absolute, one, it was a one record deal, yeah. Oh, insane! You want to talk? Uh, what did you say before? Too legit to quit. Mm-hmm. Too legit to quit. Do yourself a favor. Stop this podcast right now. Go over to YouTube. And watch the MC, like the full 20 minute long MC Hammer. VMA? No, it's not a VMA. It's like a 20 minute long. He wanted to be fucking Michael Jackson. Yeah. Uh, it too, made total sense. Too Legit to Quit is like a 20 minute long video starring uh, Jim Belushi and uh, fucking uh, who else? I remember the VMA production was insane as well. Like they when they it's, did the MTV VMAs. Uh, uh, what's, what's, who's, uh, who's the Godfather Soul? Rick James? <laughs> no, who's the hardest man working show business? Rick, uh, uh, Rick, not Rick James. Not Rick uh, James. Jeez. Uh, 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 you know, oh my God. I feel good. Um, 
<laughs> I just have Rick James stuck in my head now right now. Now you got Rick James stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, I'm a dick. I'm glad this didn't happen during Black History Month. James Brown. <laughs> James Brown. That's James Brown is the hardest working. Yes. Not Jim Brown. No. James Brown. He's an integral part of that mm-hmm. music video, by the way. It's insane. It's like so 1992, and it's like literally 20 fucking minutes long. It's in fucking insane. Yeah. Also, I want to say uh, Digital Underground shows up at one point in that video, I think. The prosthetic nose? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. The 90s in rap were weird, you know. It, it was. I feel a lot of people romanticize the rap of the 90s. And I mean, like, I, I love, you know, Dr. Dre was was phenomenal. The, the Chronic he, is. A, he's on a different level. Yeah. I think. I but, think. But again, talking about a guy that, like, wrote, produced, and did a lot of right. the stuff. Yes. And yeah. then created a superior album. Like, again, like, I think a lot of, like, Snoop Dogg's work that people romanticize oh my that's not that dr it's not, dre it's yeah dre. it's dr dre and it's uh it's doggy styles is dr dre right and it's not that it's bad but um i don't think it's as great as everyone builds it up to be like gin and juice is 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 great but i think it's romanticized in a is way it not pumps on a bump is that what you're trying to say no it's just it's romanticized in a way that it's i don't know if the music actually holds up or if people like the aesthetic because rap is one of those things like where there is so much more going on than just the music. It's the culture. It's the times it's the sure I'm, I'm cool. Cause I'm doing this kind of thing. It's that doesn't it's, exist in a lot of other musics. I'm not listening to Shania Twain and being like, I'm cool guys, you know, like fucking sure. Yeah. Um, versus like the white kid in, you know, anywhere America listening to Snoop Dogg Listen. and being like, I'm cool. Cause I'm listening to Snoop Dogg. Not that it's bad, but it's also how how is it romanticized? For me, doggy style is only going to be one thing, and that is cruising in my brother's Bronco two with his oversized speakers and listening to something that I probably should not mimicking be listening to. the rap video, mimicking the music video. I mean, that's really what it is. It's it's like you're mimicking what you're seeing on the screen, which is what I, you listen. I mean, listen. Snoop Dogg. I mean, you fucking. I mean, that song yeah. is George Clinton's awesome. George Clinton is amazing. Did he get paid for that? Probably he should have. I mean, Atomic Dog is the direct sample of that song. It's it is the direct sample. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started on samples. As but is like, that is that like <laughs> as far as is it a good juxtaposition of Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre? It's mainly Dr. Dre. Um, yeah. Saying, "Hey, there's Atomic Dog, and then we can do Snoop Doggy Dog, and it's gonna be Are, great." I mean, and it, it's great because Atomic Dog is already great. I can be weird out. The question is for you: mm-hmm. What? I mean, and this may this is me, and I'm pleading fucking ignorance because mm-hmm. I have no clue. Honestly, like me and George Clinton, we did not hook up until uh, PCU came out. The David Spade movie. Yeah. That like that that was the first time like me and George Clinton came together. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is I mean, I, I've got a feeling that George Clinton was not some kind of mainstream George Clinton was not some kind of mainstream 
musical artist. He was not pop. He was not mainstream. But then, yeah. Oh no, no, no. Yes, he was. Yeah. He, oh, he was. Okay. Yeah, he produced. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. He I, had moved into uh, producing for sure. So yeah. the the early Chili Peppers albums, he was their producer for that. Um, again, another brilliant musical mind. And again, where I don't, I don't mind sampling at all. I don't mind uh, going back to like our original thought process of. Like if you're going to comedically parody something or parody something in general, you have sure you have parameters that you have to work within to parody it, you know. And, and I guess sampling is a weird weird form of parody because because right. if I if I do Atomic Dog completely different, I'm not really parodying it. I'm just yeah stealing it. I'm stealing aspects of it to fit the, I th- my I, my for, goal. For me, when it comes to sampling, and I think Josh Bushy, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, he said it best when it's like, I'm using a song as its own instrument, instrument, and mm-hmm. that's it. It's its own piece of instrument. It's an instrument that I'm going to play. Right. I'm going to take the song and I'm going to break it apart and it's going to be my own little instrument and I'm going to have different notes and I'm going to use different keys. No, no, you're not. Cause otherwise, well, otherwise, no, otherwise you're not sampling it. Cause well, I agree I mean, with him. I, I'm saying like when I take, when I take a, when I take a, you know, I'm going to use my high, I'm going to take the hi hat from here, but also I'm going to take just a little bit of this. I'm going to use a little bit of this. I don't uh, think you're, I'm going to take the first half of this, uh, of this. I'm going to take a couple like first half Bars. of this bar, yeah. <clears throat> I'm gonna pitch it down, and then I'm gonna take the another like the tail end of the chorus, and I'm gonna pitch it up, and I'm gonna put those two pieces together. That's and not how I, sampling works. I mean, that's not how sampling is used. A, a little bit. No, I mean sampling is used of like taking a little bit of a song, and then building around it. I mean, sampling is like, is taking. I'm gonna take Atomic Dog from George Clinton in the. Uh, can't remember his Parliament name right Funkadelic. Parliament Funkadelic, yeah. That's going to psychedelic first, but like that's not right. Um, that ain't right. No. I, no, I, I but I, but I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Atomic Dog and I'm gonna take I'm gonna take literally the chorus and maybe four bars of the song and I'm gonna make an entire song. Mm, yes. Okay. So because the ba da dee da ba da ba ba that's all the rapping over yeah. is the ba da dee da ba da be da yeah. song. Yes. Part of it's song. Yeah. But they're not adding like we didn't have pro tools or any, any ability no. back then to no. separate individual hi-hat tracks and then to add them onto. Uh, no, there's, I mean, I love, unless I, you got your hands on the tape itself. No, but. no, there's a, there's a great, I mean, unless how clean the hi-hat is a, mm-hmm. like, I mean, if there's just one hit, I, I love that. Um, there was a great, uh, who, after the 808, I'm trying to remember after the 808, the first actual, sampling machine i'm trying to remember what it was and where they would like record it at i'm going to record that sample at double time mm-hmm. and then i'm going to slow it down and now i've got like two samples out of it it's fucking insane like it, once again innovation coming from necessity n- necessity yeah. uh you know i'm that's going the shitty way of saying that. <laughs> that's the <laughs> shitty way of saying that uh being able to take something i'm going to take something i'm going to break it apart macgyver style mm-hmm. the best way i can and that's what you fucking do when you have absolutely no fucking money no whatsoever problem, just taking it and breaking it apart and trying to get into my into my fucking 800 dollars system that i spent every fucking last penny i ever had and I can get it into this system and I can slow it down and I can, I can break it apart. I, I love that shit. And, and within me, that world though, too, there's, 
there's parody and then there's creativity. And I think there's a lot. And there's a world that the world that exists in between. Like you can be, you can do parody and be creative. I I just know I have a, I have a buddy I played uh, in a band with who's probably. Is he a friend of the show? Yeah. uh, Yeah. He's a friend of the show. Um, But he's probably 15, 20 years, my senior. And he was, he was telling me about like in the late eighties when they got the first sampling machine, they were able to do samples and everything like that. And what they would do though, is they would just take, they would take songs and they'd program the beats. They'd program the drums and everything. They just play along to them. So again, where your access to your access to technology, right? And here's what you're doing with it. It's much more parody, not necessarily creativity. That's not because right now that's we're not just, creative. No, I mean you're just replicating. So and that's and that's not what we want. So that's what we have a lot in a, a lot of like uh, a lot of pop music, early rap, uh, not early rap. I would just say I would say mid '90s rap became like sure. a easy thing to duplicate. It became yeah. a thing of like if I find do a, find a nice hook. Yeah, if I if and Dr. Dre did it mm-hmm. perfectly, yeah. and and he was the pioneer really of the '90s rap and everything. Yeah, I find this song from the '70s, '60s, '70s funk band. That, I'm going to pretty I'm, much steal. From I'm just them gonna then. I'm gonna lift that whole fucking. I'm thing. gonna lift that whole thing up. I'm going to take a little bit and I'm gonna leave it as a bed track for you to rap over. I'm gonna find anyone that can spit. And then get them into the studio. And if they have it, then I, I win. If not, fuck it, who cares? Let's move on to the next thing, you know? Sure. And that's where, going back to like, I know Marvin Gaye's family estate is uh, probably right. a little more litigious than we need to be. But uh, it's it, it kind of stems from all that. It kind of stems from right. years and years and years of that happening. But my, que- my, of those my bands, question is, my question is, like, what monetary value... Is it? I mean, how much monetary value is that backbeat? Is it seventy percent for something like Snoop Dogg? Like Snoop Doggy Dog? Is it seventy percent? Is it seventy uh, percent? Is it seventy percent? If I'm going to put a percent those. percentage on it, I would wonder. For sure, they're not bringing in all new musicians to record that stuff. They're getting. I would say probably half. So I mean, we're talking about half of probably new bass. Probably new drums, backing vocals though, all that stuff. I mean, de- I mean, yeah, you would get, you would I get, mean, yeah, to sing it I new. Mean, it's it's the same. I mean, if I'm writing it out on sheet music, I'll give a fifteen. No, I I do sixty forty split. <gasps> really? If I'm gonna sixty, Include, 60 including going, lyrics, including yeah, I know, I know, I know lyrics that are a different license. Yeah, because I know that's a different license. Well, because if, if but of the total song. Of the total song, yeah. Because if you're if if I'm Robin Thicke in the room getting drunk and high on Vic, uh, Vicodin, I I get fifty I get fifty percent no matter what. I'm in the room, let right. alone George Clinton who and uh, Parliament Funkadelic yeah. who have done all his work prior. Sixty percent bump is nothing like like a ten percent bump just because you did all the work prior because it's good. Yeah, because you did. You it. made it made a good thing. Like sixty percent, sixty forty, and then you get a forty percent split because again the the uh, audio recognition of knowing a hit, it, you know, it's already a hit. You it's been a hit before. You're not you're not wrong. Where it's I am familiar. The remember berries kicking in. Mm-hmm. Um, there there is a problem with that. Well, uh, genius of love is a great example. of yes. a song where it's. I mean. 
it, it's been it's featured been on sampled. so many songs. It's been sampled several times. But it's been featured on so many shows where I've watched. It's not the Amen break, but go on. But it's on. But it was on episodes of It's Always Sunny and South Park where I'm yeah. like, is that that Mariah Carey song? Like, what is that? Yeah. What is that it's thing? It's the same song. I mean, and I'm. And uh, it is. It's sampled the, the whole thing. Yeah. But it doesn't matter how you want to look at it. Like, it, the value is already there because someone's already done the work. Yeah, because it's good. It's good. And because it's good, I get a leg up for not doing I, it. Or I get but, a leg up for using it. But how much? I mean, that's my... Monetarily? My, monetarily. If, monetarily, my, if I were in the room and I get 50% already and I get an extra 10% yeah. kick because I already did all the work, that seems like a steal for anybody. I would say like 10 Like, listen, if you've got a great backbeat, 10%. I mean, that. I mean, that's... you're Because it's gravy. It's fucking gravy. I didn't do anything. I like as far as like actual work. Of, yeah, that's a, worth a ten percent uh, kick. It's a worth a ten. I think I'm saying ten percent. Like you get ten percent. Yeah, George Clinton, you get ten percent. Not I'm gonna. Well, you, fucking, get, you get sixty percent. You get you get what no. you would have already gotten in the room. No, it's ten. No, because you. He, he technically he's in the room. If I'm a lawyer, I'm going through it. I'd be like, technically, my client has already done the work to be in the room. Yeah, and so that's is, all it takes. So is Jesus. I mean, honestly, I mean, you could probably extrapolate that out. I mean, anyhow. But it's a, it's a situation where the work, the prior work being done. It's I understand what you're saying. But again, if I'm a if I'm Dr. Dre, if I'm anybody that if I'm Pharrell and I'm sampling, yeah, would I take forty percent of something or zero percent of nothing? And I'm gonna t- I'll take forty percent of a song that could be a massive hit because it's already right. been in right. the lexicon. Like that's why bands do cover albums because I, I'm I, I get that I get that I think it's just it's for me it's like I come up with the amazing I I invented Coca Cola right I came up with that recipe mm-hmm. right right now I'm not doing anything I'm just sitting on my ass and I'm letting Coke go out and produce and make things and change it and put it out there in the world and mm-hmm. market it and go crazy. How much do like my original, my initial idea, how much is that actual worth a hundred years later, 20 years later, you tell me the thing is, it's not, you weren't there. You're not putting actual sweat equity. I, I, I don't, I understand it and I value your idea, but you're not working and you're not changing it. It's work to go and finding nuggets of gold. And it's some obscure thing. It, but you're it, using uh, it. But you're using it. And that's where ten. Like I'll give you ten percent. Ten. I mean ten percent. I'll give you that. But when you got people like this who are clawing and wanting to own all of it but, or eighty percent, my like Marvin Gaye did not eighty percent come up with. Blurred lines. He mm-hmm. didn't. He just. He didn't. So why should Did you say eighty percent? Yeah. Well, it's it's sixty percent is what I'm I'm going for. Yeah, right. Because but, I want. Because <clears throat> if he didn't do anything and he was like Robin Thicke getting drunk and high on Vicodin, he'd get fifty percent just being in the room. I, I mean, but he but, he was. But he that's the base it, level. It, yeah. That's the base level. It's, and it's not zero. It's not ten. It's not twenty, thirty, forty. It's fifty percent for being in the room sleeping. It's being in the room. I get 50%. If I'm in, if even I can be in the building, if you can prove. 70 years after you're dead, you get 50% of anything that even comes close 
to your work. No, no, no. Anything that where you're getting any, you're any, getting blurred lines here, honestly. Aww. Because here's what's happening. You're you're talking about direct like we talk about George Clinton and Snoop Dogg and Atomic Dog. Yes. That's a direct sample. That's that, a direct that, like we are that, using and, this. That's not yes. even debatable. Versus the litigious uh Contention. You are 100. percent You are 100. 100 so, correct. I'm talking this about George Clinton, George Parliament Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic. We're using their stuff. We are absolutely sampling We're their sa- stuff. We're if you're changing using a lyrics. sample, I mean, like, once again, how much? Uh, if I'm going to talk about the totality of the song, and I, I'm not going to say the album, okay, I'm talking about the totality of a track. If I take five seconds of that track and I use it you know, a hundred times. So what's a hundred times five? That doesn't matter. Well, I, well, it, how much, how much of your song is based? Is it a hundred percent of your song? I mean, how much of your song, how much of it is a percentage base of my song? Look, I, I will I, say if I'm, if Dr. Dre and George Clinton, and, and that's Snoop just Dogg the music are, part and that, not the lyrics part. I'm, I'm going to go and say that we'll take, I'm going to say lyrics and vocals, are its own separate track. It's its own separate no, again, monetary there are, value. There are blurred lines too, again with this, because Atomic Dog and Snoop Doggy Dog are the same melody. So you are convoluting I, melody and melody is I'll, more I'll, music. Okay. Than, like, okay. That's what I'm saying. Like when you're, when you're bringing that's, in sampling and you're bringing in, if I'm going to, what they did with uh, Mariah Carey and uh, Genius of Love, sure. there's, yeah. There's, I'm taking the actual melody. I'm taking the actual lyrics and using them differently. That kind of uh, bridges over to. I don't care if you came up with twenty percent. I don't care if you came up with how many lyrics of the song. I don't care if you wrapped over sixteen bars of my song for three and a half minutes. Yeah. It's still my music that I created. Still the bass. It still wouldn't have happened had I had it. And I think to walk away with forty percent as the person that capitalize on the popularity of their song is a steal. I think it's a steal if I'm dead in the grave and have done nothing. Yeah. And my offspring who have contributed literally nothing to mm-hmm. the production of my music get. Now you know why I wax poetically about how the record industry used to be. And at the <clears> end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, this yeah, I guess that could be a podcast, I guess. Sure. Yeah. 